This is Cognation, the podcast about cognitive psychology, neuroscience, philosophy, technology, the future of the human experience, and other stuff we like. It's hosted by me, Joe Hardy. And by me, Rolf Nelson. Welcome to the show. Okay, so today we are going to talk about an interesting incident that happened at the Cuban embassy a couple years ago and then possible explanations for it. So yeah, the main paper we're talking about is Diplomat's Mystery Illness and Pulsed Radio Frequency Microwave Radiation by Beatrice Alexandra Galome, MD, PhD, uh, who is a professor of medicine at UC San Diego School of Medicine. And it's a, a paper that she's put together to just really dive deep into this topic about what might be causing these illnesses that these Cuban, uh, these U.S. diplomats at the Cuba embassy or the U.S. embassy in Cuba are have been experiencing and to talk about, you know, what's going on there. Uh, what 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 does she believe? What does she think is happening? And uh, it's a good it's a good exploration of, of the topics. So this is a fascinating incident that happened. So uh, so the incident happened in 2016 and the way that it seemed to have happened is uh, a bunch of diplomats in the embassy in Havana came down with some mysterious symptoms um, and, you know, word kind of spread out that it was some kind of sonic attack or there was some kind of uh, Cold War technology that might have been used. So there are tons of investigations about this. Um, forensic people went down there and uh Neuropsychologists examined uh, the potential people that had problems. I think it was something like 24, 24 people, employees of the embassy, had some complaint of some kinds of symptoms. And these are things like uh, dizziness, headaches, fatigue, insomnia. But critically, critically, they all heard sounds, or most of them heard sounds. Is it the case they all heard sounds, or just most of them heard sounds? I think that the I think the claim was that they heard sounds and there was some strange aspects to these sounds that were reported that they were heard in some places in a room but not other places in a room which you know some people thought okay well what could be what could be causing this kind of thing so you know you sort of think about a physical cause of a directed sound like that and it sounds like in military releases, there was some description of it as being a sonic attack. Uh, and it really, I mean, it really seems like a Cold War era kind of attack that um, that um, there's some space age technology that's being used. One bit of history that I think is relevant to this too is that there actually was, uh, there were reports of microwave radiation being used in the U.S. Embassy in Moscow in the 70s. And the Russians using some kind of microwave radiation that was causing some neurological symptoms in U.S. diplomats in, in Moscow. So that was a real thing. And that happened. That caused a big uproar. So this kind of harkens back to that. Yeah. And so the question is, you know, these are some vague type of symptoms. Uh, with the one notable sort of point about hearing these sounds that makes it 
kind of a, a, an interesting thing that, that kind of got everyone's attention, I guess. And people were reporting these sounds following them around, uh, being located within or behind their head. And so that was uh, a thing that made people wonder if it was some sort of technology that could beam in a sound to someone's head. How would that work? And that's where it gets into this, this idea of, of a phenomenon called the Frey effect. Yeah, and the there were a couple mentions of this, but I think the idea gained some popularity. And this is where I first heard about this is in there's a New York Times article in September of 2018 that um, seemed to kind of boldly claim that the the fray effect was what was responsible for this. Now, there may be some dispute about where that theory came from. And this is what um, Dr. Golem talks about in her paper. But one of the things we were interested in is what's the plausibility? Well, first, maybe a description of what the Frey effect is and then what the plausibility of it is in in using for some kind of attack like this. Yeah, it's an interesting place. One of those rare cases where cognitive psychology meets the news yeah, we in can a very say direct way. Yeah, say something topical, right? So, yeah, that, that that's kind of what got us excited about the the, the story. And there's a lot to talk about here. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon in and of itself. And then if it is related to an attack on, uh, on the U.S. Embassy, that would be you know, an added layer to it. Yeah, and there's all kind of stuff out there on the Internet where it really seems like everybody has their favorite pet theory. And it's pretty hard to disambiguate between different ones. And I think... Yeah, in this case, uh, knowing a little bit about how the brain works and how some of the research in this area progressed in the past, that it might actually help out in understanding this stuff. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of uh, the possible explanations for for the, what happened, I think I, I think first of all, it's important to just recognize that there was for sure, uh, you know, a spate of of mystery illnesses. People were getting sick in a way that was beyond the level that you would expect from just, you know, normal day-to-day living and working in normal, healthy conditions. People were getting sick more frequently than you expect. So they're, and, they, and enough so that they were sent home, too. So they were, I mean, it was severe enough so that they weren't just complaining about it. They were actually sent home. So one explanation could be that everyone just had some sort of an illness. It was a viral thing or a bacterial thing. Sure, and you want to go with the obvious stuff first, right? Right, exactly. So, you know, why why do we think that it was or was not a virus? Well, let's see. Um, well, first of all, there were these associated sounds that everyone's reporting on that uh, seem to be prevalent in the area. Yeah, the sounds uh, the sounds are definitely the thing that that kind of gets your attention, right? At the same time, you know, we know that there's uh, such a thing as tinnitus you know, ringing of the ears that can mm-hmm. happen. Uh, that's associated with a variety of different medical conditions, including different medications, but also anything where you might have inflammation in and around the ears mm-hmm. uh, and even things that are happening you know, in, in the brain, for example, uh, can lead to uh, to this ringing in the ear, tinnitus type of, type of effect. So that that would be a possible explanation there. Now, I think in terms of a virus, I think they, they were all checked out by doctors fairly thoroughly, too, because this was a major 
incident. And I and after they brought them back, they were all pretty thoroughly examined. And I don't think there was any evidence that there was a virus a virus that was responsible for it. Right, and it was also sort of located to certain places, right? Uh, you mean physical places that they were or places yeah. in the brain? physical location of where they were. Yeah, I was. I my impression of the report was that they were all in the embassy when this was happening, and I think that's correct, but I can't say with 100% certainty. Right, and so I think it was mostly associated with the embassy, but I believe there was also a couple cases where people reported symptoms, similar symptoms in uh, hotel rooms. Okay, okay. One other thing about the locations, too, is I know that there was another similar incident in China, which which um, is from a couple years back, too, that kind of makes things a little more confusing for some of these other ideas about how it might have happened. If it's the same, if it's the same sort of attack or the same sort of thing happening. But anyway, we can talk about that in a little bit. OK, so it's not so we know it's not a virus. We're pretty sure about that. And then it could be uh, psychosomatic, for example. Right. It could be something that's just caused by stress. They're worried about it. Some kind of mass hysteria kind of deal. Right. And, and so one person reports hearing sounds and feeling nauseous and having insomnia. And everyone else is sort of just... Just suggestible. It's suggestible. People, people experience it. You know, this is something that is always possible. You know, especially when you have these sort of vague symptoms. Um, when I say vague, I mean these are symptoms that are common across a variety of different causes, right? So, you know, headaches, insomnia. Hard even, to be specific about yeah. or diagnose exactly. Right, exactly. So that there's there's the psychosomatic concept there. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's hard to rule this out 100% unless you have another plausible explanation it just uh, yeah I, I don't know it seems it seems unlikely um it doesn't seem like it's a group of highly you know completely isolated individuals who would be highly susceptible to something like this i mean they're trained diplomats they're you know they've been in the country for a while they uh it seems it just seems unlikely that's all it just sort of strikes me as unlikely Yes, yeah, it's difficult to rule out, but but you know, for the sake of argument, let's just let's say that that's not the cause. And, and I think again, it, it, so that sort of thing is always possible, but you know, it doesn't. It does seem unlikely that so many people would have those same, very similar symptoms. Yeah, you know, no, and I think of what we're talking about. And there were some, uh, there were some when the, when neurologists looked at actual. Uh, MRI scans of all of these people. There was, a, I mean, there's a fairly large report on uh, traumatic brain injury, some what they refer to as white matter abnormalities. So some actual destruction of some white matter pathways in the brain, some swelling, things like that. So there, there were reported brain differences too. And that would be really unlikely if it were, if it were something that was just psychosomatic. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and certainly the imaging data is, you know, is huge on this, of course. But I also, you know, it's not to me a hundred percent convincing. In the same way that, mm -hmm. if you look at 
these so-called white matter differences that are reported in athletes in a lot of studies. Mm. You know, whether it be, I mean, obviously the NFL, we know that there is real, real brain damage happening to NFL uh-huh. football players for sure. But then you look at it in other sports as well. And you also see these super high rates of white matter differences. Um, and you, the problem is that it's not uh, an experiment, right? You're right. looking, you're looking at these scans, you know what you're looking That's for. Right. You're looking for something wrong. You know that this person is reporting symptoms and is in some sense sick. And we don't have a scan of them before and after, so we can do a exactly. careful comparison. Right. You don't have like a time series. What you really need is like to really be convinced you need to see it before and then right after they started, you know, having these attacks or putative attacks. And then, okay, now we can see that it happened at this time. This change happened. You know, we feel it gives us more confidence. Yeah, that's a really good point. That would be a danger in relying too much on suggesting that it's purely brain damage and that has to be something that explains brain damage like this because you know some of that some of that kind of stuff can come from these other symptoms like severe insomnia can cause uh, brain swelling and and that sort of thing right and of course you know also again you know any kind of viral explanation would be consistent with that as well mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point all right, so I think it makes sense to dive into the Frey effect a little bit and, and talk Let's about it. Let's do it, because that's, that's the, I mean, this is really interesting. It's a totally fascinating phenomenon. So uh, maybe I can just kind of go over a little bit of uh, history of this idea or this effect. So the first reports of this kind of thing are during World War II, when radar was first widely used. And they have these big, powerful radar machines that are, that are, using radio frequencies and microwave frequencies uh, to locate things. And it turns out people that are standing right next to radar machines have higher incidences of, of um, what they call neuroaesthetic syndrome, uh, which is the same kinds of symptoms that we mentioned that these, these uh, people at the embassy indicated. So headaches, dizziness, insomnia, things like this. And then, okay, so after World War II, of course, you've got the Cold War starting, and then you've got this um, mentality of um, using space-age technology as weapons. I mean, how exciting is that? Giant space ray weapons used against Russia and developed by the Russians, used against the United States. Uh, And of course, you've got, you know, spy agencies and defense agencies DARPA, the top secret projects being worked on to figure out whether you can use microwaves to zap people at a distance. Um, And the first real evidence that there was some kind of effect that you could use at a distance came from a researcher named Alan Frey, who the Frey effect is named after. By the way, he's still around too. Uh, So he was fairly young when this original paper came out. He did some research in 1960 and 1961. His paper was out in 1962. And he reports that using the right kinds of frequency, you can get people to hear sounds from microwaves. Now, we should probably explain why this is a surprising finding in the first place. Uh, So think about, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the idea here is that, you know, the auditory system is not sensitive to these frequencies acoustically. So in other words, 
There is nothing. There's no such thing as sound at these frequencies. These frequencies are uh, outside the audible range. Right, and uh, so sound is perceived from physical energy being passed through some kind of medium. So sound has to travel through air and travels at a much slower rate. I mean, this is, you know, the idea that thunder takes a lot longer to reach you than uh, the view of lightning because light, the view of lightning is traveling at the speed of light, which is nearly instantaneous as far as um, that kind of distance. But sound is traveling to you at a much slower rate. So, you know, on the order of, uh, what is it, hundreds of feet per second. So, uh, sound and what's picked up by the ear are physical vibrations, and microwaves are electromagnetic radiations. Electromagnetic radiations, so for physics, if you remember your physics classes, um, just produced by black body from black body radiation, essentially same as visible light, exact same thing as light, just at a different frequency. So if you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, you've got you've got super short wavelengths and then you've got super long wavelengths, you know, from you know all the way to X-rays and gamma rays and all that stuff. Same thing, just different frequency. Um, but you know, this is what all communications technology is based on: cell phone towers and uh, television, all that kind of stuff, based on electromagnetic radiation. Okay, so totally different. Right. Thing. So and it yeah, exactly. Electromagnetic radiation moves at the speed of uh, speed of light, and obviously the sound moves at uh, the speed of sound, which is different depending on the environmental conditions in which you're. You know, the temperature the other contents of the like humidity of the air, et cetera. Um, but it's obviously it's much, much slower. So uh, 343 meters per second in dry go. air. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So how the heck does microwave radiation actually cause people to hear sound? Well, okay. Alan Frey in his original paper didn't know. He had some guesses as to how it happened but he wasn't really clear on the mechanism. The first thing you might think of is, all right, we know that neurons are communicating with each other in an electrochemical way. So maybe it's just disrupting the signals between neurons, the action potentials between neurons. And uh, he wasn't really sure exactly how it was happening. Um, long story short though, that's, that's not what appears to be the mechanism. Um, so through a number of research papers between that original 1962 paper and now, there have been some different theories proposed. And so the way that we think that the Frey effect works now, and this just seems to be fairly well substantiated, is that it's not affecting any particular location in the brain. It just affects the brain as a whole. We've got this big piece of soft tissue in our head and it's not all that different from the way that a microwave oven heats up foods that have liquid in them. So it's, it has an effect on soft tissue. One key is that the microwave, the microwaves that are used in the Frey effect have to be pulsed, which means they have to be of a square wave. In other words, they have to be um, sharp pulses rather than a continuous amount of 
microwave energy. So your microwave oven um, just gives continuous energy into it. These pulses happen at regular occurrences. And a key here is that the wavelengths that affect your head are about the size of your head. So they have about the the size of your your head. Um, and essentially, they cause your the soft tissue in your head to jiggle a little bit. So it's really just rattling your head a tiny bit. And then that jiggling gets transferred through either the bone or through the fluids in your head to affect the cochlea, which is where normal sound gets processed. And then you hear it as sound. One, one sort of side note, I guess, here is sort of interesting that the frequency that you hear is going to be dependent on the size of your head so that people with larger heads are going to hear something different than people with smaller heads. Right. So this is uh, basically a, you know, an experience of hearing these sounds that are generated by, according to this, this model, uh, essentially your head rattling around a little bit. And it, the interesting thing here is that this is something that's been studied pretty extensively, and it's been repeated uh, over a number of occasions. It's a little bit of a difficult area to study in human subjects because not that many people are excited about signing up for an experiment to, uh, you know, Stick their head in a microwave, basically. And I've got to say, my first impulse here was, okay, how do we get one of these things and try it out? And uh, I talked to a physics professor at my college, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, well, we're trying to figure this out because we're trying to figure out why people in Cuba <laughs> got brain damage. Right. Wait a second. Let's not do that. Maybe we don't want to. Maybe we don't want to. The first thing we want to do is maybe not point it at our own heads and see. I am totally curious, by the way, what this actually sounds like. Supposedly, it's a, it's a, I mean, it, it's a very low power effect, so it's well under the kind of threshold that should do damage to your brain. And physicists say that. This is way less, this is causing way less jiggling to your brain than an ultrasound does to a pregnant woman. But okay. again, you know, we've got these people with brain damage, it's microwaves. You're not supposed to open up your microwave oven. Microwaves are not good for you, right? So right. I'm, so you know, it's, it's the high, there is some high power here. So what, I'm still skeptical about pointing it at my head. No, I don't think we should. That wouldn't be the place to start, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. In terms of this, though, I mean, we talk about the power. What was he using as a as a, a device as a device? Yeah. So this is interesting. This is something I I went and tried to figure out too. So there's a there's an interesting review paper a few years ago about different amounts of energy that you can use, and you know. I suppose this is a good thing, but you wouldn't be able to get this just by just by uh, jamming the door on your microwave and sticking your head in it. Not that it's more power, but it wouldn't give you the kind of pulsed power that you want. Um, so the amount of power that you need is, let's see, 
microwatts per square centimeter. So it's going to depend on how it's far like talking, away. Talking about like at least uh, density. The average power density can be at least as low as 400 microwatts per square centimeter. 400 microwatts per square centimeter. So the farther away you get, the less power it's going to have. So you either need a you need a decent sized microwave generator right up to your head or a gigantor machine that's far enough away from the embassy that would actually go and affect it. Right. And and in in the Frey paper, the original 1962 paper, he's talking about the effect was induced several hundred feet from the antenna the mm -hmm. instant the transmitter was turned on. So that's the cool part. Right. Because it's, yeah, exactly. It's traveling at the speed of light. And it's you can do it at a distance. So if you focus your beam strongly enough. So there's some sort of microwave generating antenna. Yeah. And I think it's something that, I mean, it's something that you could go out and buy industrially. So these types of, you know, these are, uh, these antenna are used in like astronomy and stuff like that, right? I don't know. Boy, that's another theory right there. <laughs> Aliens? Aliens. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, no. <laughs> and by the way, this this stuff has attracted a, a fair number of conspiracy theorists, too, with some pretty crazy ideas about it all. Well, I mean, if you're going to be, you know, aluminum foil helmet mm -hmm. type person, I mean, this is this is the aluminum foil helmet situation right here. I mean, it really is. Yeah, this really is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, OK, so one interesting if you want to go down the avenue of thinking what sorts of effects these things can have, the next question you might have is, well, you can produce a kind of humming in someone's head. Can you control their minds with it? Not right. necessarily control their minds directly, but how about can you communicate with someone? Can you cause someone to hear a word in their head? And the answer to this seems to be no. The most direct evidence was one paper in the 70s that found you could sort of get a Morse code level signal to someone, but as far as forming an actual word, no. Part of this might be that we know that the frequency heard is dependent on the size of your head. So it's really difficult to modulate it in those tiny amounts to actually change the frequency that gets heard by the person. So this is, I think this is a really, it's a pretty crude way to generate a signal that somebody hears. And it's not going to be as precise as making people hear voices in their heads. Right, right. But you could get a signal to someone if, you know, if that was the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're like Russian spies, you could, you could get just like a, a quick coded signal, I suppose. Yeah. And well, I mean, it's, it's interesting too, though, in, in terms of the, we start getting into the damage question about, you know, how much power are we talking about to where people are getting damaged by this? And it's important from a number of perspectives. I mean, not only is it important from the perspective of, you know, in this case, was this an attack? But, mm -hmm. you know, these types of radio uh, microwave frequencies are being used industrial across, you know, all kinds of different telecommunications systems, cell phones. Yeah. So th that's where it starts to become, 
an intersection between you know the kinds of claims that people have been making about for example when they had these smart meters installed in their homes mm -hmm. that were nominally sending out some signals that were affecting people adversely and so it, uh, dr galome and her paper kind of got into reports that were similar in terms of people experiencing similar symptoms and sounds from these smart meter incidents incidences uh as what people were experiencing at these embassies you know the question that this has to bring up to people is okay all of these microwaves that are bathing our body constantly from cell phones and from all of these other sources are they having these kinds of adverse effects too and how much how, how many bad things are happening um and from what i can gather it's a di it's a pretty difficult question to answer one of the researchers that did a, a whole lot to convince people that the levels of microwave radiation that come out of cell phones and what we're exposed to on a daily basis is harmless was a researcher called Eleanor Adair, who published tons of stuff and and even did some experiments uh, where people are exposed directly to microwave radiation to the levels at which they're actually starting to sweat. So causing heat on their skin and found no adverse long, longer term effects. And what it seemed like is that at the most, microwave radiation would have an effect on the surface of the skin. There's some, you know, of course, there are other kinds of cosmic ray kinds of weapons that people use. And there was a, there was a, a crowd control gun that was essentially a super powerful microwave. The most that it did is possibly cause a rash on your skin or make you feel sort of warm on your skin. You know, if you're not right next to it, I think it just kind of makes you feel a little warmer. But, but so it's still not super encouraging. It's not it isn't super encouraging. <laughs> and this is the point at which if you're a conspiracy theorist, you you can go down a, a pathway of saying, ah, they're all around us. There's cell right. phones everywhere. But do I want to keep my cell phone in a Faraday cage and keep everything away so that I'm not exposed to all this radiation? And man, it's a hard one. I just don't have enough time and energy to think about that. <laughs> no, I'm just assuming that people are protecting me. I'm, I'm just hoping that it's safe. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah the, uh, that, but the question that that raises for me in association with, with this particular case with the embassy is how much radiation are we talking about that if it really was that let's get, let's just assume for a second that that was what it was. You're talking about a lot of microwaves. Mm -hmm. If these people are having really brain damage and, you know, nausea, nosebleeds, et cetera. Because yeah, a lot of you know. First of all, there's all this ambient now ambient microwave radiation in the atmosphere anyway. But then, of course, we're putting so much more in with all the devices and uh, antennas that we're using everywhere, and uh, we're not having anything like this on a day to day basis. So you're talking about a weapon that would be generating like a, a decent amount of pulsed uh, microwave radiation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. I mean, the, this is a confusing part about the story, I think, which is if it is microwave radiation that's causing people to hear these sounds, we know that, or we, we at least think that getting the fray effect, as it was experimented on people with, 
is is a pretty low energy thing that it's it's not enough to cause any damage it's you know like i said supposedly less than an ultrasound and there was a there was a researcher who came out with uh who came out with a description of it and it was published in scientific american a few months ago kenneth foster who did some of the original research in the 70s demonstrating how the Frey effect might work. So he was demonstrating that it that it probably had this thermoelastic effect on the brain, that it's jiggling the brain around a little bit, suggests now he's come out saying that he thinks it can't possibly be the Frey effect that's causing any of these neurological symptoms because it's just too low power and it wouldn't it wouldn't actually do this much damage. It'd have to be much, much, much more powerful. But that doesn't wait. Does that that doesn't mean though that if even if he's right that that the kind of effect that they saw with the Frey effect that could still be causing the sounds, right? But that wouldn't be cause. But there have to be more radiation to cause. Right. The that's the that was my take on it too. I think that's that was the thought that I had too. Is that at a low level you could do it so that it wasn't causing any kind of brain damage. But if you're just kind of hurling a bunch of microwave radiation at somebody you could you could do both you could get the fray effect and then also do some other damage too so why would why would they want to do this why would why would you want to right why would why would the cubans or the russians or the chinese or whoever it is why would they why would they do that man that is a good question that gets into uh yeah that gets into conspiracy theory level thinking too, uh, getting to the motivations. I mean, I feel like there could be a million answers to that. It could be, okay, so since this stuff was, this kind of thing was demonstrated to be used in in the Cold War in the 70s, maybe there's just some leftover technology hanging out in Cuba that somebody's like, well, somebody was bored. Let's just put this to use and somebody was just bored. Yeah, I mean that's possible. That's possible. It could be also. I mean, you could imagine it could be an experiment. They could be thinking, well, we're not really experiment. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, they're not. They're thinking, hey, you know, this is not necessarily something that you know we're not at war directly with the U.S. right now, but you know, in the future, let's see what we could do with this technology as a provocation. As a provocation. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in, in the immediate term, just, just to see what the effects are, just to see what they could do with it. And you don't get many willing participants, so right. we use di- diplomats. We use diplomats. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, so I'm thinking our, you know, the enemies of the, of the U.S. would be doing that, not the U.S. doing it to themselves, although it could be that, too. False Always. flag. Isn't that, what, um, isn't that what the alt-right calls, like, when it's an, you do an attack on yourself to make people think that, you're under right. attack, false flag. Exactly. When George Ooh. Soros pays yeah, right. uh, someone, <laughs> someone to do something, whatever it is, it's a, always a false flag, according to these theories. But yeah, I mean, yeah. So it, it, it's pretty. That, that's the part that makes it a little weird, right? Is that motivation? Motivation, like you know, if you're trying to well, put especially a case since together, and and no one's happening. No one's claimed responsibility for it either. Which is isn't that what terrorists usually do? They try to claim right. responsibility they try to claim responsibility yes yeah, so that's where people you know tends tends to point people thinking about about the russians and that's where you know like oh well if you think maybe they're just generally trying to disrupt our democracy or what have you there's right. some 
some evidence for that. So chaos. Chaos. So chaos, exactly. That they see this as just an opportunity to to get people spun up and getting in our literally getting in our heads. Uh, you know, uh, figuratively and, and literally. Well, there no, now there are two other theories which are which are worth maybe talking about just a little bit. And one of them is the idea that this was part of a surveillance, this is a side effect of some kind of surveillance project. In other words, that people are trying to listen to them at a distance and using existing surveillance technology. And it just happens to be a side effect that they caused this brain damage or this these uh, kinds of effects on them. Right, right. What kind of technology would would have that overlap? Uh, that I'm not entirely clear on. I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. But that's an interesting interesting th- thought in terms of just from a motivational perspective. From a motivational perspective, that kind of makes sense. I guess it would be kind of a coincidence if it happened to have caused a fray effect, also. Right. Right. It would be quite an interesting coincidence. Yeah, I think it's it might be worth thinking a little bit now about this issue of the crickets. The crickets. <laughs> the crickets. The cricket issue. The cricket issue. Wait, don't we first have to talk about um, uh, smoking guns and angles of the diplomats and stuff like that so we can get into some serious conspiracy theory? So the angles at which the diplomats were getting hit by the radiation? The positions. No, I'm just, this is like, this is when you really get into the weeds. It's like, but it's impossible that... Right, the diplomat could be standing here. Exactly, the, the multiple um, multiple microwave detector theory, the one bullet theory. Isn't that what it was called in Kennedy? Yeah, exactly. the The magic bullet. The magic bullet. Yeah. Yep. So crickets, crickets is an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, well, I mean, just while we're on that topic of like the the conspiracy theory topics, things is that it, this didn't happen to everyone. Yes. Right. So that's where our, um, you know, you, that's a big problem that you have right away is that this is not something that everyone experienced. And there, so if it was just radiation that was being beamed into part of the embassy, everyone who crossed through that part of the embassy should be affected. If it's on all the time and yeah. So then you have to get into why that isn't the case. And, uh, well, here's where psychophysics can help us out, I think, um, because some of the original research on the Frey effect found that not everybody could hear it. And there yes. seemed to be a, 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 sp- a specific um, range of sounds that a range of sensitivities that people had that would make them more likely to perceive the Frey effect. It does have it does have to, it is related to your level of auditory sensitivity. However, of course, on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Frey effect is perceivable in deaf humans. Yes, I found that to be interesting also. So obviously it depends on what kind of deafness it is. Yeah, and so I think Frey reported on this in his original paper um, because he was trying to figure out at which level it was happening. So in some deaf humans, there was still perception of this fray effect. He didn't call it the fray effect at the time. Uh, I think it's right. Michael, no, exactly. Michael, <laughs> that would have been awesome yeah. if he did yeah. this first paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it's helpful, I guess, to know what kinds of deafness you could have. So any so you know, if sound is a physical pressure wave that impinges on your outer ear and sort of travels inward and eventually causes a neural signal, you can have damage anywhere along that pathway and you can have deafness occur. So, you know, you've got your, you know, your eardrum, your tympanic membrane, which you know, and then it's connected to the tiny little bones inside your ear and eventually goes into the cochlea, the organ of hearing in your ear. So if you had damage to just the bones in your ear, the ossicles, and your cochlea is still working, you could conceivably induce a sound through the Frey effect since it goes through the skull or through the vasculature in the brain. So this is you know, this is my guess as to what's happening in these deaf individuals. Conversely, you could also have someone who has damage to the cochlea so that they're not hearing a certain frequency of sounds. And even though they can they can hear other frequencies through the, you know, through the normal hearing pathway, they wouldn't be able to hear the fray effect because their cochlea just isn't sensitive to that range. That's right. Either through neural damage or some combination of you know, the level of sensitivity that they Anywhere have to sounds. From, yeah. But and then it interacts with that thing you were talking about before about the size of your skull. Mm -hmm. So if you have like a small skull and it puts or a big, really big skull and it puts the the frequency of the vibrations of the head outside the range of the auto, you know, uh, uh, of what's your cochlea is sensitive to, then you wouldn't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. That almost seems to fit with the idea that some people are not hearing it and other people are so sensitivity to the sound is one one thing different people will might be sensitive to the fray effect versus not but then why would some people get sick and other people not get sick and that's where dr Golub goes into you know there's just different levels of sensitivity to this right and, and right that happens that happens with a lot of stuff mm -hmm. right and she got into a big discussion of oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. And that, whenever, you, if you want a vague explanation for a lot of things that's very hard to pin down, oxidative stress is always a good thing to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's, yes, it's a thing for sure. But wow, really hard to measure. Yeah, it's like uh, saying that something's due to resilience or something right. like that. Or inflammation. Or inflammation, which isn't as explanatory as it sounds, right? It's not. It is not. Because what is being inflamed? How? For how long? Why? Why? So it's a word that people like to use in these, in these situations when they don't really have a lot else to say about it. It is true that when things... Uh, get damaged, they tend to be inflamed. So, yeah, there's always going to be some correlation there. But it, it, it's a mystery. Uh, it, it's part of the mystery, let's just say that, with, that it, to my mind has no well-described explanation why some people would be affected and others would not be affected. It seems like it should be just a straightforward effect. Like if you're, you know, if, if you have soft tissue in your head, Right. And you vibrate it and it's connected up to the ear, then you should be able to hear it. 
Right. And I mean, 24 people sounds like a lot of people, and it is a lot of people, but there are hundreds of people going in and out of this embassy every single day. Right. I guess maybe one relevant piece is that it's a, it's a threshold thing. So in all of the experimentation on it, it's something where people are in a totally quiet room and they're asked to kind of distinguish whether or not they're hearing a noise or not. So it's not, it's not necessarily a really loud noise in your head, something fairly quiet. And maybe if you aren't paying it enough attention to it, you don't even notice it. Or if you have, if you've got tinnitus or something already, maybe you're not, maybe you don't even hear it. Right. Or if you're just in a loud room all the time or, you know, got your headphones on, it's just under your, under the radar for you. So to speak. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, it's possible. So, but I think that's where get, we, we should bring up the crickets. Crickets. Okay. So this is the other, this is the other piece of the puzzle. Crickets. So what's going on with crickets? There was an article in the New York Times recently. Was it, was it just a couple weeks ago, right? January 6th. And basically they came to the conclusion that the sound that was being reported by the folks having these experiences was essentially exactly the sound that crickets make. Oh, <laughs> there are a lot of crickets apparently there. And especially... Uh, consistent with the fact that these sounds were heard mostly or exclusively at night uh, suggests that maybe what they were hearing was crickets. I think when a lot of people read this headline, or at least other people that I had spoken to, a lot of people just said, ah, all of this was just crickets. Right. But and actually... That was kind of the end of the story. Right. But, but no. not really, right? But no, not really. At all. Because, because I mean, the whole point is that you, you can't hear it at all outside of your head right you can't you couldn't record the fray effect on a, a, a sound recorder and play it back and hear it it's not how it and, works okay and a couple things about the crickets don't get me started about the crickets <laughs> let's get the it into the crickets man let's get okay so so the first thing that made me wonder about this is okay so there are crickets pretty much everywhere right so why is it that diplomats are susceptible to cricket attacks whereas other people are not so why only diplomats doesn't that seem well, weird yeah the crickets don't explain why people got sick at all it might and, explain yeah. what they heard could explain what they heard but does not explain at all why they would get sick i think we would know if crickets routinely caused brain damage or if they caused these kinds of effects yes uh, second of all there are, we also do know that there were some events in china too which seem to be similar and it would seem odd that only diplomats in United States embassies are affected by crickets on different continents, right? I feel yes. like that would be weird. That would be weird. So sort of examining this stuff a little more deeply, I think there's some misleading press here. The way no. that... Yeah, it's totally <laughs> true. I know, believe it. No. So the way that it was stated is... So, something to the effect of sounds associated with embassy attacks are found to be crickets. Now, here's my conspiracy theory assembling. Um, so originally, this, this was a theory early on 
after soon after the attack is that maybe it was insects and there were a couple doctors who had suggested this they said well maybe it's uh, local insects and they sort of put that theory aside because it didn't really seem to match up with the kinds of effects that were happening and how it was localized in some way it, it was sort of like it was laser-like in you know focused on certain areas and not other areas and then so there were there were a couple recordings that were made and this is what got out so people looked at that sound and focused on what could be causing that particular sound. It's sort of like a chirping sound. And people couldn't get an exact match to it. So there's a group of researchers at Berkeley, and I think he's a, a graduate student at Berkeley, who did a match. He said, okay, that sounds exactly like a cricket that I know of, except there seemed to be a few more echoes in it. So he simulated, he used that chirp of the cricket in a more echoed environment and got an almost exact match to the sound that was provided. So that seems to be the extent of the evidence. And again, so what is the point? There's there's a place that people were where they were yeah. hearing sounds. Yeah. Those sounds sound a little bit like crickets. Mm -hmm. Someone else recorded a sound mm -hmm. that maybe, let's say, let's say for sake of argument, that it was crickets. Which I think it very well could have i mean why why, why not why, why would it not be crickets that doesn't has nothing to do with this it's nothing to do with this the whole point is that you do not you, the the, the sound there would not be sound waves associated with the microwave attack if it were you a microwave cannot attack. record them yes it's just not so what so i think it's, it, it's, i think it's maybe, unrelated maybe some of the confusion hinges on it would be a confusing thing if there was a microwave attack, and in addition, there were crickets nearby that sounded sort of similar to it. Would it be? I so mean, there are crickets everywhere. Well, I just mean it would be, it would, I mean, the reporting is kind of, okay, there were cricket sounds there. They were identified as crickets. So that must have been the cause of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's, uh, it's just, I don't think it's all, it certainly doesn't solve it. Let's just say that. You won't hear the last of this. No, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. So how do you solve something like this? You know, you don't, you don't solve it until you find the actual microwave antenna. The lack of a, an explanation is always going to be a counterfactual here. You know, the, you're never going to be able to disprove the conspiracy theory. Well, maybe, maybe somebody tries to use it again. Maybe somebody has some of this, um, technology and they try to use it somewhere else and they get caught red-handed yeah that's what i'm saying exactly you could prove it but you, you it's very difficult it's very easy to prove it in a sense it, you know it, like an or, or more to say the proof would be compelling if you if you actually found the the antenna that was positioned appropriately and you turned it on you saw that you could reproduce the effect yeah that would be compelling evidence for the microwave attack theory it would be very difficult to, to unequivocally disprove the theory. I think what you would want to do is get, I mean, if you had the resources, get every single person that went through that embassy and get your own microwave set up and run them past it and say, does this sound like what you heard? By the way, I hope I didn't brain damage you again. <laughs> right, exactly. And then, then what you could, I mean, you could bring in the crickets, you could have 
Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A cricket control condition. Exactly. And then and I, you might have some people if you had them if you had them next to the microwaves and some of them were susceptible and some of them weren't again. If this relates to the ones who didn't hear it in the embassy, then you could be a little more sure about things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the crickets. All right. So if you let's say you wanted to go with the crickets thing, mm -hmm. the crickets explanation is consistent with the psychosomatic story. So a, a story you could tell is that people were stressed out as they are in the embassy, all the, you know, it's a stressful job and working in general is super stressful and just being alive is stressful. So people have yeah. stress related effects all the time. And they include insomnia, nausea, you know, tiredness, irritability, you know, headaches, even nosebleeds. I mean, everything. Mm -hmm. And then they were hearing these sounds, and these sounds were like, wow, this is driving me crazy. It sounds like it's in my head. Yeah. We've all heard crickets, you know, especially at night if you're in a dark place. You know, maybe they got inside or something. They get inside, exactly. I remember when I was a kid, I had a cricket in my basement where I, my bedroom was. And Super it was there frustrating. For months. It was so frustrating. It was impossible to find. <laughs> and yeah. it does. It really does sound like it's right in your head. So that would be that would be the consistent explanation there. This is all just a psychosomatic stress related uh -huh. thing that was that was happened at the same time as as crickets. And when you work in an embassy, maybe you're maybe you could get a little paranoid. Right. Well, you should. Right. I mean, <laughs> you should be a little paranoid. Yeah, you should be at least cautious. Let's say because in fact, people are trying to get you. Mm -hmm. That's right. Or as they say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're trying not trying to get you. <laughs> exactly. And these are correctly paranoid people. That's right. Exactly. Okay. So um, do you have any favorite conspiracy theories? If you could, if you could go with any, any theory. Okay. So my, what do I really think? Just brainstorming. Okay. I don't know. Just... No, but I, 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 I haven't changed my mind of what I really think. So I'll just say that right away, but then we can do some, have some more fun with it. <laughs> okay. Because what I really think is it's the psychosomatic thing. Really? It really 100% feels like that, yeah. It's a super common thing that happens. You know, people get sick in similar ways and similar environments all the time. All of these symptoms are very common symptoms that happen to people all the time. And sometimes, you know, whether you choose to focus on it or not can often be determined by what's going on around you and whether if other people are calling in sick on the topic and, you know, are these similar kinds of calling in sick on these similar symptoms then it's much more likely you're going to that you are as well. And the sounds could be just even just tinnitus or crickets. Okay, well, so that theory has the it has some value in that it's probably the most parsimonious, but it's also the most boring theory. Totally boring. Totally boring. So let's let's just put that to one side and let's say that that is a possibility. Uh -huh. That is also difficult to disprove by the way. Right, that's the, that's the that's the frustrating thing about all these psychosomatic theories is that they are very yeah. difficult to prove super difficult to prove and impossible to disprove yeah so they're 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 not that exciting from that perspective. Un unfalsifiable we could say that's right unfalsifiable but yeah i mean to forget that for a moment the more interesting i mean i think the the yeah the microwave attack theory is great i, I think it totally makes sense i mean just especially the fact that we know that that these kinds of attacks have been used in the past is super suggestive. I, th I I feel like it it would be totally reasonable if the technologies lying around 
that it's not something that they had to invent or test a whole lot. They've just got it lying around. Cuba's clearly an old battlefront of the Cold War. Right. And, you know, so they they have it around. Somebody uses it. Who knows who? And that's the thing. It wouldn't even necessarily have to be someone who's acting on part of a state agent. Right. It wouldn't even have to be a terrorist. It could be like just a, a random person who happens to have access to this technology who's doing it for shits and giggles, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you know, people do ham radio stuff, you know, like someone who's like yeah. into that kind of thing, you know? And I think even if it wasn't leftover technology, I think it, you know, it's conceivable that somebody could have put together this level of equipment with, you know, by themselves. I don't think it would be, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you can, you can hack something together that would do this. Right. That's what, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like someone who's like at the level of sophistication of like someone who's like a ham radio operator and really gets into that kind of stuff. Right. They could yeah, maybe together. he just he just wired together like twelve microwave oven units and forget how to pulse them and and just kind of let it loose. Just let it let it rip. Yep. How how yeah. directional and 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 like focused is it though? I mean, wouldn't this affect the person who's? I guess they they could operate it at a distance. Uh, well, I mean, if if they're getting these kinds of results in 1962 at a you know at a hundred feet seems reasonable that you could construct something now yeah no yeah spy satellites this could be a conspiracy level thing yeah i mean if it's if it's a satellite then you could definitely the then my original idea of like this is just a research project and they're testing it on americans because it's russians or whatever yeah that seems like an unlikely one certainly though if it's a satellite kind of thing because i think you would be able to detect that right wouldn't you i mean other other people would see that in the sense of the you know because people are monitoring the yeah microwave spectrum. i can't imagine that you could you could just point it to that degree of specificity that you could get you could actually point a satellite at a head that'd be weird yeah and that seems unlikely mutant crickets <laughs> Really pissed off crickets who just coming after you specifically. Yeah, that seems unlikely. I have to say, I still do like the Frey effect as a as an explanation, and I feel like some of the evidence laid down by um, Dr. Golem is pretty solid. Yeah, I, I would like. It would be great to to dive into it more. I mean, I don't know what the what's going to happen with the paper. This was a preprint, right? We, we... I think it was actually published. Oh, it was uh, okay. I think it actually got published in a journal. Okay, just because um, I, I like the paper, I, I thought it was good, but it kind of worried me a little bit that she went off into the the discussion of the um, smart meters so much. Uh, remind me, what are the smart meters? So, the smart meters are these. Uh, you know, you know, you have the electricity meter on the side of your house. Yeah. That records how many kilowatt hours. You, so you can, can figure out how much you how much you pay how for much your. You owe. Yeah. Yeah. 
So different places have installed these systems that are accessible remotely. So they're essentially networked. I don't know if it's internet or if it's a different system, but but they're basic, they're, they're networked systems. And uh, people have repeatedly reported having electrosensitive symptoms when they when these were, were installed in their house. Mm. And this happened in California and happened in, I guess it happened in Maine also. And uh, yeah, people, you know, reported, you know, when they were at their house, they were, they got sick. And then when they left their house, they felt better, things like that. And then when mm-hmm. they disabled the units, they felt better. But that was like, that is really a conspiracy theory, theory level stuff. Like that's been pretty well shown to not be true. It isn't true. My understanding is that okay. these, these units are everywhere now. And people kind of just forgot about it. And then there's no problems anymore. Huh. That's my understanding. That's my understanding. So maybe that's a whole other show. But and but she did also mention, though, there was this report that was, I believe it was in uh, German scientists who put together this report about um, the effects of uh, electromagnetic radiation and sensitivity to that. That was pretty, a lot of scientists came together to like report on this. And you remember there was that thing a few years ago where people were talking about the effects of like living under power lines. Yeah, Same I do thing. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. There are certainly some other kinds of effects on the brain from radiation. I guess it's just the you know the kind of radiation or the level that it is. One of the things that was reported on you know, in the '60s and '70s and seems to be true with a decent amount of radiation is that it, it can break down the blood-brain barrier, mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. you can, you can get some kind of complex kinds of issues that come with it if you're getting you know, different different thing, things floating through the blood 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 brain barrier that don't normally go through it so you know there's there's i know there's kind of a listing you can get some damage to mitochondrial membranes uh other things like that o- oxidative stress there you go you can get oxidative stress from it yeah well of course you can get oxidative stress from everything right i guess you can get oxidative being stress alive. from everything literally being literally being alive stressful being alive <laughs> i mean that is the number one cause of Oxidative stress is just literally <laughs> being a metabolizing entity. But this is this is from the the paper from the figure where she has the big table uh, of all the different symptoms and things that people were reporting. And this is talking about in the main smart meter meter. Uh, wait, yeah, in the main smart meter survey report, comments by affected persons were included. Exemplars including fray noises. Exemplars involving fray noises included these. After 72 ITRON AMI smart meters were installed near me in my townhome complex, I heard a constant buzzing that's driving me crazy. keeps me awake and it's hard to think. I'm not sure if it's an actual sound or if it's being generated inside my head because when I put my fingers in my ears, I still hear it. In addition, about every 15 to 20 minutes, a more intense whine is added that lasts about 12 to 15 seconds. gives me a mild headache. When I go to the outside to the state and regional parks around me where there are no smart meters for miles, I no longer hear the buzzing and my heart doesn't race. Sounds like tinnitus to me. It's hard to know what to make of um, some subjective reports like that. Yeah, exactly. 
And it's just weird to like kind of bring that into the discussion of the Cuba attacks. But yeah, you know, it's, it'd be interesting to. I mean, yeah. At the same time, it's like you could easily say, well, you just don't want to believe that these electromagnetic radiation effects are happening all around you all the time. You know, we're, we're killing ourselves with this stuff. You know, yeah, that's that's plausible. Also, it would be a hard one to go back on if you had to cut out all um, microwave radiation in your life. It would be. So the other, I I thought the other thing I came up with when doing some research for this some interesting histories in the study of microwave radiation i have to say and effects on humans there were some uh great but weird studies on microwave radiation on rats where essentially some of these early studies are basically putting rats in microwave ovens and turning it on and seeing what happens <laughs> and then awesome. you know, <laughs> doing this doing this with humans too uh well not putting people in the microwave because i think that would be a little unethical my favorite study was this study from 1955 called reanimation of rats from body temperatures between zero and one degrees centigrade by microwave diathermy okay so they, you freeze the rat you freeze the rat and then he stick them in the microwave, and they, they're then they're fine. Yep. Oh, reanimation. Wow. They actually, yeah, it's actual reanimation. So they were dead, and then now they're alive. And now they're reanimated. So it's a little Frankenstein-y. And apparently, the advantage of this is the other main method. Oh, well, you of... can keep all your pet rats in the freezer while you're on vacation. That's the advantage, obviously. Yeah, save on food costs. Yep. Well, I wasn't thinking food. I was thinking more just like, you know, you're, yeah, well, yeah, well, I see food for the rat, right? I go, yes. <laughs> the main advantage, as I understand, is you can reanimate them by putting a warm spatula on their chest, but that yeah. causes a, it causes a mark on them, a potentially mm -hmm. painful mark. So it's better to do it with a microwave. Yes. So that's a practical tip. <laughs> it is it is so what what's the takeaway thought here what 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 do we uh what do we think the implications of this are oh man it's hard to know uh takeaway thought is man there's a lot of potential ideas about this cuban embassy attack and there's no definite proof for any of them a lot of people are convinced that one or the other is correct, but it's difficult to see total. I mean, the fact that you and I come away with this with a different takeaway that I might lean towards the Frey effect as a cause and you think it's probably a psychogenic thing. It's difficult to figure this stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the takeaways for me that are super interesting is just, you know, learning about the Frey effect and how that works and thinking more about the effects of electromagnetic radiation broadly on the brain and how that might impact people or not. But then it's also, I think the most interesting part is just how it really shows you, it's like a, a mirror that you hold up to yourself about what you think mm -hmm. about different kinds of explanations. Yeah, how you integrate information about different explanations and when you, when you accept one and when you look for evidence 
to support your own particular theory. Absolutely. I mean, you can definitely see, you know, the the, the news articles have in it, you know, all have their interesting takes in that way. They're mm-hmm. all they're all definitely takes, right? They're all trying to present that this is this is what happened, and especially with the crickets the one. That one definitely was. I don't think very good journalism, to be honest with you. No, it doesn't seem like it. I think, well, we don't have to relitigate this one, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and even uh, uh, Dr. Golem's uh, article, which I, again, I, I do think was quite good, had a very distinct perspective, you know, which you need to have a perspective, uh, right? But she was definitely looking for evidence for her for her theory, which again, it's a little bit, you have to do that almost. And it's, when you write an article, to write an article, you have to almost have a perspective to, to drive mm-hmm. the narrative. But she also pointed out how another bias, which is the bias that um, industry people have for whatever their industry is. So, for example, studies of electromagnetic radiation, whether they cause damage to people's brains or not, there's some impact of whether or not you're Research was sponsored by, say, the telecom industry. Yeah, and it feels a bit uh, like tobacco industry um, and figuring out what the actual effects of smoking tobacco are. Yep, yep, for sure. So, yeah, I think those are all, it's all interesting. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, that does end up being a bit of a Rorschach test because that smoking gun is not there. Yeah, it takes a lot to maintain some skepticism and and wait to accumulate enough evidence before being sure of something. And maybe we are just wishy-washy scientists who tend to do that naturally. Right, <laughs> exactly. Cool, but at the end of the day, super interesting you know, phenomenon, really interesting intersection of neuroscience and politics, reportage, uh, you know, other pop culture elements so all in all a cool a cool thing and still in the thick of the story so await further news if if further developments happen on this story definitely all right i guess we'll end it there thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening